When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just a heads up, there's some swearing in this episode. All right, here's the show. It doesn't even make any sense! I'm the eldest boy! Does this scenario sound familiar? The children of a billionaire battle it out for control of his empire and for his love and attention. The stakes? Massive influence over U.S. democracy. Well, that's the plot of HBO's popular drama, Succession, of course. And it's also sort of what happened in the real world recently. Earlier this month, 92-year-old George Soros announced that one of his sons would step in to run George's foundation and his super PAC. The Soros heir apparent is 37-year-old Alex Soros. And it should be noted, he is not the eldest boy, to borrow Kendall Roy's term from the show. So I called up Gregory Zuckerman to see what he thought about this. He recently interviewed Alex Soros for the Wall Street Journal. It's been on my radar screen for a while because I cover Wall Street. I write about big players like George Soros. I've been wondering for a long time, where is the empire going? He's 92 years old. And um, Alex is a bit of a surprise as a choice. A surprise choice because, according to Gregory, many people, both inside and outside the firm, had expected another son to one day take the helm. But George is notoriously fickle. As a trader, that's where he made his billions. He was known for changing his mind quickly. Sound familiar? Fuck off. Fuck off. Fuck off. And according to Gregory, while it may not be a perfect comparison, there are a lot of similarities between this story and the Roy's. Yeah, this is a real-life succession story with a lot of drama and surprise, much like the television show. And yet, again, it's real life. So for years, the assumption was among people working in the Soros Foundation, among others, that Jonathan, uh, his son from his first marriage, uh, would be the one, would be the heir apparent, the one Mm -hmm. to succeed George Soros. And when we say succeed George Soros, we're talking about atop this empire, which is his foundation, it's his hedge funds, it's his PAC all of which are very influential and groundbreaking. And Jonathan, for many good reasons, was expected to be the one, the chosen one. And yet there was a falling out. There was a change of heart on the part of George Soros. And Jonathan took a step back. He said, you know what? I want to keep peace in the family, so I'm going to take a step back from the investment firm, but I still want to be the one to run the foundation in some way. And George said, no, um, you're not the one. And Uh, It created an opening and and allowed the younger son, Alex, to have the potential to, to step up and be the heir apparent. So today on the show, succession in real life and what the passing of the torch within the Soros empire says about who gets to wield power in the United States and what that power does. I'm Emily Peck, filling in for Lizzie O'Leary, and this is What Next TBD, a show about tech, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. 
Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. To understand the shift, it's helpful to understand who Alex Soros is. He was born on third base. He was part, sort of born you know, in between third and home, frankly. His father uh, is worth tens of billions of dollars. Uh, yes, he got um, a PhD, Alex, and, but he was sort of handed a lot uh, on, on a silver platter. Now, that said, we shouldn't necessarily judge him harshly just as a result early on in his life, for many years, he was only known for being on the gossip pages. Page mm-hmm. six featured him. He dated models. He was courtside at New York, New York Knicks games. He still is, frankly. Um, so that's kind of what he was best known for. And even within the foundation. So he went and start starting to work there full time in 2015. Uh, but for years, he worked part time there. And he didn't really make much of an impression. People mm-hmm. I talked to say that in meetings, he hardly spoke up. So um, he starts off with some skepticism about him. But um, I don't think we should rush to judgment. Yes, we have reason to be skeptical of someone uh, born to, to into billions who's given an important mandate in life, an important job. But we also should uh, hold out the possibility that he's um, a hardworking individual in his own right and serious minded. And yes, you could be in page six um, one day and then also be serious and on the ground in a European country working hard on some cause the next. You said Soros is influential and, you know, you hear his name batted around by the right and by conservatives. But what do you mean when you say he's influential? So George Soros is a fascinating character. He is not nearly as influential as some on the right will suggest, and yet he is among the more important uh, characters, individuals, both in the world of politics and finance uh, in modern times. Uh, I say that because uh, he's uh, a groundbreaking investor, really more of a 
speculator even than, than an investor. He's bet on currencies, governments, stocks, bonds for, for years and has had this really important, influential role on Wall Street, uh, groundbreaking. People follow in his footsteps in terms of being a speculator and, and a trader. And as a hedge fund manager, people have uh, compared themselves to him. His track record is among the best, and he's just moved markets for years. And then he shifted gears to be a philanthropist. And his foundation is among the biggest in the world. And as such, it's played important roles um, in countries, including ours, but in Europe, in Latin America as well. Important role doing what? So they funded all kinds of important institutions, uh, educational institutions. They've provided funding for individuals, people like um, uh, in Hungary, um, the prime minister there, he got a, a scholarship to go to Oxford due to the Soros Foundation. They provide funding for different organizations, um, BLM, um, European organizations. They've been among the most important funders of local elections um, for district attorney, attorneys uh, and, and others in our country. So both in the United States and abroad, they've played a really important role. It's my understanding that, that George Soros, he, he grew up in occupied Hungary and, and hid out from the, the Nazis, and that was a formidable experience for him. And sort of when it comes to his um, philanthropic thesis, it kind of plays into it, right? The open society, he supports democracy. So it, it, it's like his background influences his giving and his foundation, all of that. For someone like Alex, who's born not in those circumstances, in, into privilege, you have a sense for what his thesis would be, how he would change the focus, if he would change the focus of the foundation? Broadly speaking, Alex is center-left, is the way he describes himself. He is a liberal. He's a progressive. He'll continue to give to causes. He's, he's younger, too. So things like gender rights um, mean a lot more to Alex than to his father. Um, things like... Um, Abortion rights. He said he's going to help candidates that are fighting for abortion rights in the United States. Uh, those kind of issues are much more important to Alex. He's younger as a result. But I don't think we should kind of categorize him as your traditional, necessarily progressive or liberal. I think he's much more, um, uh, he stresses more, he cares much more about free speech on, on college campuses and, and elsewhere. He calls himself something of a Bill Maher <laughs> Democrat. Uh, he's been influenced by Bill Maher, wow. and as a result, free speech means a lot more to him. One thing I also found striking in your reporting, um, it seems as though Alex wasn't very close to his father, to George, growing up, um, but that was something he he really longed for, and maybe part of the reason he wanted to be in the foundation, I mean, it all boils down to just wanting to be close to his father and be loved. <laughs> yeah, it's a really important observation. And what I love about the story is, frankly, you've got different elements involved. Yeah, you got the future of this country and the, the world and democratic politicians and whether the sources will be as supportive in, in the future as they've been. They've been among the most important democratic backers over the last few decades. But there's also the human element of it. You've got this young, uh, relatively young, 37-year-old who has spent a life looking up to his father and wanting a relationship with his father, wanting to be closer to his father and struggling in that regard. Early on, for many years growing up, his father, and this is how he describes it, his father was there but not there. Yeah, mm -hmm. he was present 
but his mind was on Wall Street, was on trading, was on speculating. And here's a young man who longed to be close to his father, and he couldn't get his father interested in the kinds of things he was interested in. That was hip hop. That was sports. <laughs> those, those kind of it, those kind of things. And frankly, he grew up. Alex grew up a little bit insecure in terms of people were trying to take advantage of him. Here was a guy who was a little bit insecure in terms of his reputation and his family and wanted to be close to his father. He finally, finally found a way. And that was through ideas and thoughts and philosophy. And he tended towards philosophy. And that's why he went to school and the graduate school in that regard. He realized that it wasn't the only reason, but one of the reasons was that his father is a philosopher in his own right, a frustrated philosopher, frankly. He always mm. kind of wanted to be taken more seriously for his philosophy and his approach to life. So um, becoming more active in the foundation and eventually leading it and, and becoming the successor was also a way for Alex to be closer to his father. George Soros made his money as a trader and his son Jonathan cut his teeth in finance. Alex, by all accounts, doesn't share the same interest. I mean, George Soros is among the most gifted traders and speculators in, in history. And he still, frankly, steps in once in a while. He's 92 years old, but he'll still follow markets. He'll still call over to his investment firm and make recommendations. And sometimes they're pretty good ones. He's a savvy, sharp trader. And his son, Jonathan, also had that interest in finance, interest in trading and ability there as well. That's not Alex. Alex can tell you about the quarterback for the New York Jets. He can give you a lot of insight into football, into basketball, and to, to um, broad changes in society and philosophy. Those are the kind of things he's interested in, philosophy, sports, um, hip-hop. But he's not interested, like his brother, or nearly like his father, in markets and trading and speculating. So it's a new era on Wall Street. Jonathan Soros, the youngest son of his first marriage, was long considered by people internally to be the one to take over for his father. But after a disagreement between the two, George seemed to sour on him. He told me he was disappointed, but I wouldn't say he was crushed. He, to his credit, moved on. And he's developed his own life. He's got a family. He's got a business. He's got interests, public interests. Um, so I think it was the kind of thing where... Yeah, Jonathan was disappointed at not being the heir apparent, but not mm -hmm. crushed. And But that did give Alex an opening. Okay. So he's not Kendall Roy sitting on the bench, staring at the river, contemplating his own death. I would not describe <laughs> him. So yeah, there are similarities to success, in, but uh, they're not always exact uh, parallels. Yes. When we come back, will Alex become the new boogeyman for the right? If you want to understand what is happening in the United States right now, you really need to understand what's happening with the courts, the law, and the Supreme Court. The battle between democracy and whatever this cage match is that we're witnessing, it's going to be won and lost at the ballot box, but it's also going to be won and lost in the courtrooms. I'm Dahlia Lithwick. I host Slate's legal podcast, Amicus, and we are doubling our output bringing you weekly episodes from here on in, because how else can we keep an eye on the many trials of Donald Trump, the conservative legal movement's assaults on our rights, the Supreme Court's latest slate of environmental gutting, gun safety, eviscerating cases on the docket. So follow Amicus wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes dropping every Saturday morning.
If you're familiar with George Soros, you're aware of the attacks levied against him on the right. Most of it is pure conspiracy theory, that he's the puppet master of the world, pulling the strings of the elites behind closed doors. A lot of it is blatantly, horrifyingly anti-Semitic. Soros lived through the Holocaust in hiding, it's worth emphasizing. But all that noise makes it harder to talk about Soros' actual wealth and power. And that is, of course, why these attacks happen. Elon Musk recently compared Soros to Magneto, a supervillain from the X-Men comic books, who is also a Holocaust survivor. Musk's tweet was hard not to see as grossly anti-Semitic. So George Soros has been attacked, he's been demonized even, by the right. The question is why? Partly it's because we need demons today, unfortunately, or it just seems like many on both sides, like to demonize uh, as opposed to just disagree and criticize. So it's not enough to say that you disagree with George Soros's efforts and, and what he finds important, which is the level of incarceration, uh, incarceration rates in this country is, is, is very high. And that's bothered George Soros for years. And as a result, he has uh, for years, early before others seized on the importance of electing local officials, local district attorney officials, law enforcement officials and such. And he's gotten behind his um, efforts to elect liberal, progressive law officials and district attorneys. And that's something that the right disagrees with. But they've gone uh, overboard, I would argue, in terms of demonizing him. They call him the puppet master. They say that he's installed district attorneys and others, local officials around the country, which is overstating things. He has backed these elections, but frankly, a lot of these district attorneys and others have been elected and sometimes re-elected by voters. And do you think passing the torch to Alex takes will take tamper down some of this criticism or will Alex just sort of like just become an, another target or has he already? So George Soros is an easy target. He's a financier. He's a Wall Street guy. He's a multi-billionaire. And he's not even an investor, frankly. He's a speculator. He'll acknowledge he speculated his whole life. Those aren't the kinds of people that we love to support and um, are easy to wrap our arms around. He's not some long-term investor even. Uh, and he's frankly put pressure on governments around the world. He helped put pressure on the British pound and it collapsed. And he would say, and others who, who are backers of Soros and friends will say, well, the British pound, we're talking 1992, by the way, the British mm -hmm. pound was going to collapse anyway. But yeah, he helped accelerate the process. He's an immigrant. He's Jewish. He's an easy target for a lot of people. Uh, but, you know, both on the right and, and some on the left. Um, and his son is not nearly the same kind of target. He's not this boogeyman, puppet master, immigrant who's who's been responsible for, for helping to accelerate the collapse of, of global currencies. So he may not be the same easy target for those on, on the right. But that said, Alex will be at the helm of this $25 billion organization that has in the past and will continue to support some of the more progressive liberal causes in this country and elsewhere. So he'll still be a target, but maybe not as easy a target as his father. And he told you, Alex told you that he plans on being more political than his father. 
like he might lean into the politics even more somehow. Yeah, it's interesting comment on his part, because especially people on the right will say, how can you be more political than than George Soros? But uh, what people don't understand is George Soros, frankly, has been as focused, if not more so on Europe, uh, Eastern Europe and elsewhere than on our country. And Mm -hmm. as much as he gets all the criticism for installing district attorneys, progressive district attorneys around the country, he's been much more focused elsewhere, whereas his son, Alex, is more political in that he's more involved in our um, system and in electing different officials, meeting with people, pushing for various causes, some of it just sort of on the ground work that he's done, revving up the vote, getting out the vote, appealing to black voters, appealing to Latino voters. That's more important to Alex than to his father. So in that regard, he actually is more political, more involved in our domestic politics. And yes, that will likely make Alex uh, a bit of a target in our country. Oh, that's interesting. So he'll be more focused on the United States than his father was, even though just if you looked at all the criticism, you'd think George Soros was already really focused on the United States. George gets um, a lot of criticism for the impact he's had on our country, but his focus hasn't been uh, specific to our country. It's been kind of broader. Uh, but Alex, yeah, he's got more of an interest uh, in in rolling up his sleeves and and working with politicians in this country in, in terms of voter turnout uh, and trying to shift the, 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 the pitch, the way Democrats pitch themselves to voters. And he thinks that they're not doing a great job of emphasizing some of the, the, the positives of this country. And um, he also thinks that, I, I don't think one wants to typecast him necessarily as a traditional liberal or progressive. He thinks, and for example, that maybe judges should have more leeway in terms of bail, setting bail in the mm-hmm. United States. And that's something that I think progressives and liberals will disagree with. So, um, and in terms of free speech, Alex is a big fan. Is there a comparable figure, a comparable organization or figure to the Soros Foundation on the right? Would it be like the Koch brothers? It's a good question. The Koch brothers have been, uh, have played a really important role in terms of backing Republican um, um, candidates for years. You've got the Federalist Society, which is right. hugely important. And frankly, they've got billions behind them as well. So, those on the right are quick to criticize all the money that the Soros's throw around and use to influence our political system. And I'm not comfortable with that. I don't think uh, others are as well. But there are billions on the other side, too. The, there's the Mercer family, too, that has for years. And there are another, they're also a hedge fund family from, from Wall Street, made their money on Wall Street. The Mercer family also for years has, has uh, used their largesse to help Republican politicians. So there are billions on both sides of the party uh, aisle. One thing I've been thinking about a lot is one of George Soros's sort of like driving causes, big causes, is open societies and democracies. But now he's engendered or he's engineered the succession putting his son in charge of 25, a $25 billion foundation. How is this? This is dynastic. This is the opposite of democracy and open society, right? I mean, wh- what would they say about that? 
Yeah, there have always been some contradictions when it comes to George Soros. I mean, he's an unbridled capitalist, a speculator. That's how he made his billions. And yet he spends his largesse on helping underprivileged. Gender equality uh, is important. Economic equality. So there always are, have been some contradictions when it comes to George Soros. And yes, he himself said he didn't want to hand the reins over to his son. That wasn't his intention. And yet he has. So even he will acknowledge the contradictions and how it's not necessarily the ideal state. And yet he's done it. It's hard to say just how much of an impact the succession will have. As long as George Soros is around, his shadow will loom over his son. I do think that we need to wait to see the true influence because people close to the situation, people who work there, kind of say that until George Soros is truly uh, step, steps back and frankly, maybe no longer with us on the, on this earth. He's 92 mm-hmm. years old until then. We're not really going to see where Alex takes this foundation. So you've got the shadow of a 92 year old father over you and still involved and still pretty sharp and active and influential. So until George truly takes a step back and maybe is no longer with us on this earth, we may not see the true influence and direction that Alex takes this important foundation. I'm still really struck that this 37-year-old man now gets to wield this power um, that the foundation and the super PAC have. I mean, they have huge influence, as you've already outlined. I mean, what does this say about the way American politics power influences is wielded? Like, what is the takeaway from all this, do you think? Well, the takeaway is that as much as many of us would prefer uh, individuals, uh, wealthy individuals, those who made money speculating on markets to have less influence over us all in terms of our political system, our elected officials, and other kinds of aspects of our life, it's going to continue. So in the words of Alex Soros, well, if the other side is going to keep spending money to influence politics and, and, and the world, we need to also, we mean, we meaning the Soros family, but Democrats. So mm-hmm. yeah, the money behind the Democratic Party uh, is, is more important than ever. Sadly, it seems there's no end in sight uh, to the importance of billionaires uh, in both parties. And as much as both parties talk about getting away from that kind of system, that reliance on these billionaires uh, and in their influence continues uh, apace. And Alex's uh, ascension uh, and his succession at this empire suggests that there's no end in sight. Thank you so much for coming on. Sure. Gregory Zuckerman is a special writer at The Wall Street Journal. And that's it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell and Patrick Fort. Our show is edited by Jonathan Fisher. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. If you're a fan of the show, I have a request for you. Become a Slate Plus member. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. We'll be back next week with more episodes. I'm Emily Peck, filling in for Lizzie O'Leary, and you can catch me on Saturdays over at Slate Money. Thanks for listening.